0: Hi, welcome to Paper Boys. I'm your host, James. I am your other host, Charlie. And we're here to dive into the science between popular headlines that you see relating about science research that's up and coming and often in news articles that don't really deliver the full background of the science that's going on. That's right. Our goal here is to take
1: big headline science news that you may have been reading about recently and we're going to go find the actual paper that all of this news was based on. We want to give you the full deep dive into that so you can come away with a better understanding of what that story was and hopefully appreciate more the work that is behind all of
0: the science news you read. You may be asking, why are we eligible to do this? Why is it worth listening to our podcast about it? But we're both PhD students, so we read a lot of papers. So it's really interesting for us to dive into the news. We love sharing the actual science and the nitty-gritty details behind what this research is. And whether the headline actually reflects what's happening and what the science reports. Yeah, and you know, we've gotten some comments from
1: listeners already. Uh, They want to know what we research. I am an aerospace engineer, but
0: I really study plasma physics. And I'm an electrical engineer, and I'm focusing on wireless systems, specifically for brain computer interfaces, and how we can make them smaller and implantable. Yeah, so James is going to be a a mind control evil scientist one day. Someday. Got to
1: dream towards something. And I won't be. I will be under his mind control or far away at Neptune yeah All right, first things first, James. We owe a massive shout out to Damn it Eugene on SoundCloud who made that intro song for us custom. Thank you Damn it Eugene.
0: I love it. It gets me pumped every time. I love it so much. <laughs> like I I can't contain my excitement about that song. Hopefully everybody else enjoys it too. Yeah. Every time you get into this podcast, get used to it. Extra extra. <laughs> Read all about, all about it. Hear all about it. Hear all about Oh, that's that's good. So this week, ladies and gentlemen, Charlie has brought in an article, something that's near and dear, close to his heart, something relating to the solar system and plasma science. I'm really excited to hear about this. Charlie, do you want to introduce the article that you'll be talking about today?
1: Yeah. So this article is one that came out just about a month ago, and it is about Saturn. Saturn. Okay. And more specifically, it's about plasma at Saturn. Okay. First, I'll give you the news headlines that that were spawned by this paper. Okay. And then we'll dive more into to the research. Yeah, I can't wait to hear about it. So LiveScience.com said, there's spooky plasma music traveling from Saturn to its weirdest moon. Ooh. Yeah, spooky, right? Huffington Post, NASA spacecraft picked up weird plasma sounds as it plunged into Saturn. It okay. turns out that hmm. one's actually probably the most accurate headline here. From Science News? No, from Huffington Post. Oh, Huffington Post. Okay. Huffington Post. Um, popular Mechanics... Saturn and its moon Enceladus talk to each other. The sound is perfectly cosmic and eerie. Hmm. Yeah. Here's, and here's the other one. Good th- ones? Yeah. Well, uh, The Atlantic says NASA just released The Song of the Summer.
0: Dang. Yeah. Folks, listen up. It's going to be a hit. Who's not going to click on that one? That's clickbait. Yeah. That is a little bit clickbaity, but it's. You clicked. I clicked.
1: I read it. But then I read the paper. So let's see what all these headlines were talking about. Yeah, I'm really curious about how you can actually hear plasma. So the title of this article, and this was published published in uh, by the American Geophysical Union, and the title of the article is Enceladus Auroral Hiss Emissions During Cassini's Grand Finale. Okay, it, who's authoring this paper? So the author of this is A.H. Suleiman. Not sure exactly how to pronounce it. There's actually several authors. There's I'm looking at this as about 10 or 12 of them. Okay. Um, but we'll just say NASA because I think the lead author is from the University of Iowa, but this is all in correspondence with Goddard Space Flight
0: Center, Okay, which and is with a, NASA, the a NASA. And with the actual Cassini probe then? Right. So research was so, part of that.
1: Right. So anyone who doesn't know, Cassini was a satellite that was orbiting Saturn for how long? 10 years maybe?
0: Yeah, something like that. And
1: it had a pretty dramatic finish just recently, right? Yeah. So if you remember in the title of this article, it said during Cassini's grand finale. Okay. So the grand finale of Cassini was when it crashed into Saturn. Wow. So while it's orbiting Saturn for 10 years collecting data, it's in a pretty high orbit so that it can stay away from the planet so that it doesn't risk dipping into the atmosphere and maybe damaging it or worse, deorbiting it and
0: crashing Okay. And that would be just due to the actual collision between the spacecraft and the atmosphere physically slowing it down, sort of inducing drag. And Right. So they want to
1: stay far away from the planet so that it doesn't, uh, it doesn't end up crashing into it and they can keep their mission going. But once the mission is over, they need to crash it into the planet. Otherwise, it just becomes space junk. And we being responsible humans that don't want to litter the solar system with Cassini probes, we use the rockets to fire it and just literally smash it into the planet.
0: Okay. Wow, that is dramatic.
1: Yeah, and what's and they call this the grand finale because it actually in the process of doing this, we get access to a lot of science that we didn't get access to in the high orbit away from the planet. So okay. in this case, we got to fly inside the
0: rings of Saturn. Wow, which has never happened before. So not just is this deorbiting it and getting rid of space junk, but it's actually collecting really important scientific data that we've never had access to before. Right. And this was and therefore this was a big planned part of the mission. Okay. Was to get this data at the end of the mission. Hmm, That's really cool. And so as it's going in, the Cassini probe, it's been orbiting Saturn for about 10 years. It's diving in and it's measuring something in the atmosphere of Saturn. Something about the plasmas then, right? Is this a dedicated instrument on the satellite? Yeah. So the
1: instrument is called the Radio and Plasma Wave Science Instrument. Let me see can't wait to hear the acronym for that. That is exactly what it was called. I got that off off the top of my head. RPWS instrument, radio and plasma wave science instrument. Okay. Not a very fun acronym. The RPOS. Sure, RPOS. I don't know. By NASA standards, it's a very boring acronym. Yeah. So it's this instrument. It basically is just these three metal rods that are antennae. I don't have the best understanding of this. This actually is probably more in the electrical engineering field of things. So you may know more about this than I do. But these antennae are used to pick up plasma signals, basically, which come in as electromagnetic waves. Okay. So they've in the past, some of the big discoveries that have been made with this instrument are uh,
0: listening to lightning from Saturn. Oh, okay. So they're actually just, okay, so there's some electromagnetic signal that's coming in, an electromagnetic frequency, and then they're just converting it to an audio signal so you can listen to it. Right. Right? Okay. Right. And then
1: based on the frequency of the signal that comes in, you can sort of tell what these things are, where they originate. Like another example of what they've used these for is as it was passing through the rings or as it was passing through a certain region, I think there was some dust. And as the dust impacted the spacecraft, it created these little tiny puffs of plasma, which give off these waves and then get collected by the instrument. And so they're able to infer the
0: density of that dust and the size of the particles that way. Wow, so they can actually start to look at the composition of Saturn's atmosphere based on the collision of the spacecraft with it and the plasma that it gives off? I believe so, yeah. Huh, that is really cool. I know,
1: it's really cool, and it sounds like, even for someone who knows a little bit about plasma physics, it's
0: it sounds way too hard. <laughs> I could never possibly do this myself. <laughs> to design like a multi, multi-million dollar mission with that experiment in mind. Yeah, I mean, the people who come up with these things are just miles ahead of where any of us could ever hope to be, but. That is so cool, that is so cool. So, okay, you'll dive into the paper some more, I'm sure. But just as we're getting started, this is a question I just have to get off. So the signals that are coming in then, they're not actual audio signals because there is no actual audio in space, right? It's
1: not audio the way like a microphone is recording audio. Okay. They're signals. Think of it the way that um, when you're listening to the radio, the signal that's coming in to your radio is actually an electromagnetic wave that is collected by your antenna. And then there's a system that converts that to the audio that it really represents. Okay. So in this case, you're collecting electromagnetic waves of certain frequencies.
0: Those frequencies actually could be in the audible frequency. So they could be these modulated plasma frequencies between like 0 to 20 kilohertz. Right.
1: Okay. So that if you were to literally just convert it to an audio signal, you'd hear it with your ears. Okay. But usually what they're looking for are frequencies of certain types of plasma waves or something like that. So it's not always going to be directly comparable to what you can hear, but then they can sometimes convert it to something that you can hear. Okay, great. Well, so in this case, what they were measuring uh, was, it's called auroral hiss. Auroral hiss, okay. So auroral hiss is something that comes from these electromagnetic waves that are low frequency, that are in the audio range, and these are coming from plasma instabilities
0: in Saturn's aurora. Hmm. For listeners who are familiar with our episode on meteors, is that similar, perhaps, to plasma waves that meteors generate when they enter into our atmosphere on Earth? Maybe, yeah. So, and I guess we never really answered
1: that question in that episode of whether that was plasma waves or not. The best example of this is lightning on Earth. Okay. If you're uh, if you're listening to AM radio and there's a thunderstorm nearby, you'll actually hear crackling due to lightning strikes. Okay, the little pops and sometimes there are even other sounds associated with that too, right? Yeah, so, so the lightning is itself a plasma. So backing way up now, plasma is a state of matter where you have a gas that either is very hot or you pass a very high current through it and the atoms will break down into ions and electrons. Okay. And so it's charged and- So it's like, like a charged, gaseous plasma. Yeah, <laughs> plasma, exactly. It's another state. Like a fluorescent light bulb is a plasma. Or like okay. a neon sign that says, like, open, you know, on a coffee shop. That's plasma inside there. So think, like, how, glowing, bright thing. How common are these plasmas? In the universe, everything yeah. is plasma. Everything is plasma. The sun is plasma. Like, 99.9% of all matter in the universe is plasma.
0: Wow, okay. It's so just super it's rare we live on a rock. It's not <laughs> plasma, so. Wow. So our life is just this little anomaly in the greater plasma universe.
1: Right. Like all stars are
0: plasma. A, a
1: nebula is just a really dispersed plasma. All the, the th- cool pictures that you'll see of space. Just Plasmas. If it's glowing and it's gassy, it's probably plasma. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. So the noises that they picked up at Saturn were are what are called whistler waves.
0: Whistler waves. Okay.
1: So these are a type of wave, electromagnetic wave, that are given off by plasma instabilities like a lightning strike. Okay. So you think of like a high, sort of like a high frequency whistle. So it's actually interesting why they call it a whistling wave. So there's a, there's a cool history on this. Okay. What's since people have been into radio things, that was the dumbest way I could have said that, but you know, it's only been since about the 1800s that we've been experimenting with radio, right? Yeah. And in that time people have started to pick up on these noises that they hear through their antenna, especially when you have a really long antenna. Like, for example, Tesla, he had his lab, I think it was in Colorado, and he would hear these whistler waves, and he thought that it was the voices of Martians talking to him.
0: Really? Nikola yeah. Tesla thought he was being talked to by Martians? Yeah. I mean, you sound surprised, but he was kind of crazy. So, Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you pick that up and you're like, you have no idea what else it is. Sounds almost crazier to be like, oh, this is a lightning strike from somewhere else in the world, or yeah. Well, closer.
1: and I'm gonna play these whistler waves for you in a second, and you'll understand why it's really freaky. Okay. Um, oh, All right. So, wait. but then I think where they really got their name was um, in World War One. They set up these long wires with like vacuum tubes. You know, I don't, I don't know how exactly their technology worked, but they set up these really long wires between trenches to spy on the other trenches as oh. like little listening devices. Hmm. And these wires were, it could be like a mile long. And oh, wow. And they would sometimes pick up these sounds that sound like whistling in the recording. And they didn't really know what it was. And they sort of suspected, uh, I think what they thought is that they were picking up the sounds of grenades flying, of like mortars oh. falling. And, that's what they, and so that's sort of what it sounded like. But then they noticed it, they would hear it even when there wasn't any sort of battle going on. Wow And so it wasn't until the 20s or the 30s that, that a scientist came forward and actually sort of proposed an alternative explanation. And then this is really when plasma physics started to get off the ground. was in the, sort of in the 30s, towards the 50s. and then it became very well understood. This came from plasma instabilities that give okay. off the, these electromagnetic waves that then get collected by something like a long wire, which can act as an antenna.
0: Okay, so these plasma instabilities give off very low frequencies. So something in the electromagnetic spectrum, but that's within the audible frequency range. Right. And then you pick it up on, on an antenna and it sounds just like audio.
1: Yeah. And so uh, the, these waves propagate along magnetic field lines. Okay. And the Earth has a magnetic field. And so these are things that um, you will hear in space too.
0: Really? Because these,
1: these waves are propagating along. So and
0: anywhere in the magnetosphere of Earth they can right. travel.
1: So there's actually a recording that NASA took of... Whistler waves in uh, in the Van Allen belt. Really? Yeah. So here's you're gonna hear what whistling waves sound like. Now this is gonna be a lot of them. If you were the World War One soldier on the listening device, you would just hear a couple of these. But this is like this is a cacophony, and it's really cool. This is why Tesla probably thought Martians were
0: talking to him. All right, let's hear it. That definitely sounds like Martians. Yeah, it sounds like a space battle. Yeah, they're just chirping at you, firing their lasers. Yeah, and so you can imagine hearing one of these individually. Yeah. That sounds like a whistle, right? Yeah, it's probably exactly the way that a mortar sounds if you're in a World War One trench. Exactly. Um, here, I'll pause this
1: so we can hear each other. <laughs> so that's... That's what Whistler waves sound like. And the reason that they make that sound is that plasma is, it's called, it's known as a dispersive medium, so that an electromagnetic wave traveling through it doesn't have a constant frequency. The frequency actually changes with the density of the plasma. Okay. And with, it can change with the strength of
0: magnetic field. Interesting. So actually, I think this was a problem that the early, like, telephone pioneers ran into, because the telephone cables that they laid were dispersive as well. They weren't perfect conductors. Oh. And so you would get vocal distortion. So oh. even now, there's a little bit of it, but that's one of the many reasons why they cut down your voice into a certain frequency range. It's audible, but it's also, I think, one of the frequencies that was originally l- like less prone to dispersion in the medium. So you'd Interesting. Get, yeah, you get that audio audible distortion in the signal. Wow. I never would have thought
1: that you'd have to deal with that kind of problem, but... Yeah, that's
0: crazy. Plasmas and telephones.
1: Yeah. So what they did in this paper then was they measured or they were able to detect these types of whistler waves at Saturn. Okay. And they knew that the and they call these ones auroral hiss because they specifically they originate or they
0: um, end up in the aurora, which is like think North Pole. Okay. And it, and they actually had found I think from Cassini that Saturn has really active aurora on its poles, right? Right. Wow. Right. Okay. So they had they had measured before
1: this auroral hiss all the way out far from the planet because these whistler waves were traveling
0: along the magnetic field lines to a distance that could be measured really far away. So if you imagine the planet, then the magnetic field lines coming out from the small core of the planet actually extend much farther out than the planet itself, right? Right. And so as a spacecraft flies through those it can measure
1: these waves. This paper is significant because it's it's the first time that they've measured them up close to
0: Saturn. Okay. And so what would you expect to be a difference, then, from measuring it far out from the planet versus close in? Well, so, I mean, we'll get to this later, but
1: what they actually find is that these waves originate from Saturn, whereas previously they had measured ones that were originating from Enceladus. Okay. And what's significant about this as well is that they measured these on the magnetic field lines that are connecting Saturn to Enceladus. So they're finding that it's particularly active. These waves are particularly active on the field lines that connect the planet and
0: the moon. So they actually sort of follow Enceladus as Enceladus is orbiting. You could imagine it that way almost. But there's some connection between Enceladus, Saturn's magnetic fields, and Saturn that's causing it to be stronger. So
1: the way they describe these magnetic fields is in terms of shells. Okay. And uh, because Enceladus is at a certain distance away it's connected to Saturn along a certain shell. They call, I think they call them L-shells. And then, you know, they don't talk about the lines necessarily just in just in terms of the field itself. They call them flux tubes, flux which, tubes. Is, which has to do with how much magnetic field is passing through a given area. And so you take basically a, a constant amount of magnetic flux, and you can trace that amount all the way out to Enceladus, and you call that a flux tube. Okay, interesting. Yeah, and so these flux tubes are what are what allow these waves to propagate back and forth. All right. And so that's why all these articles are saying that Saturn and Enceladus are talking to
0: each other or that there's music going between them. Okay. So they're sort of personifying this back and forth action of the plasma waves go- traveling between Enceladus and Saturn on this these magnetic fields. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Huh.
1: W- it's really Wait. cool. And... I, it's a very, like, yeah, it's a very artistic way to describe what's going on. I can uh-huh. appreciate that for sure. And what's cool is that NASA actually then went and released the sounds that they recorded, which is why they all talk about it being spooky plasma music, you know, because <laughs> the reason this was so popular, I think, is because there was this really nice, easy, digestible piece of data that came out of it.
0: Yeah. I mean, for such a cold stark like uninhabitable universe bar earth for what we know (laughs) yeah it's like it's nice it's a warm fuzzy feeling to think of Saturn like singing little Enceladus to sleep
1: yeah yeah it's really cool so actually we can listen to the the recording that they got close to Saturn if you want yeah yeah throw it on so it does sound different so actually I'll, I'll preface it so what's characteristic of these auroral hisses is that they call them like a, a saucer emission sometimes, basically because they take a, I think it's called a spectrogram or a spectrograph, and it's you have time on your horizontal axis, and you have frequency on your vertical axis. Okay. So they're measuring the frequency of this wave over time, and what they find characteristically is that this frequency will start high, decrease, and then increase again. And so it makes
0: sort of like a V shape on that graph. So you could think of, so you have this high frequency content and then it's lowering down. So sort of like a whistle that's getting lower in pitch, like a truck driving away, almost.
1: Yeah, or like imagine you have like a little slide whistle, you know, like those like pew. Yeah, like you're going like pew and then it's like. Wow, okay. So it makes sort of this characteristic, uh, almost like a V or better described as a, a saucer is what they say. Not flying saucer, but like dinner saucer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, interesting. Yeah, that's a good image of how the frequency content's changing. Yeah, and so when they measure these at Earth with really clean data, you'll get that very distinct V, like slide whistle kind of sound. But in this case, what they measured was actually because the satellite is traveling so fast and it's moving through all these different magnetic field lines along which these waves are propagating. There's different origination points of these different whistler waves. And so there's there's a whole bunch of them that
0: are kind of all stacked on top of each other. So that you'll hear. Along this wave all there's a bunch of different sources adding and subtracting and interacting with each other. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. So we'll we'll listen to this now.
1: went down, and now it's coming back up. Is this in real time, or is this sped up or slowed down? This is actually sped up. So the duration of that recording is like 15 or 16 minutes. Okay. And then they they condense it all and turn it into a a soundbite that can be, you know, listened to like a song, quote-unquote, right? (laughs) Over just a
0: couple seconds. Yeah, like 30 seconds. Wow, that's really interesting. For anyone who's listening to this, it's actually worth Googling an image because the spectrogram, like Charlie was talking about, is really cool. Yeah, and we'll post a link to it too so you can see these graphs yourself. They
1: actually have two measurements. One was all the way out when they were very close to Enceladus, and that was actually even a, a cleaner take, but it wasn't really anything super novel because we already had made measurements like that before. Okay. Um, this one, this is the one that they took very close to Saturn, which is super unique because. We, it will probably be decades, if ever, before we have another satellite that gets that close to Saturn. Wow. It's really just one-of-a-kind set of data. Yeah, this is pretty one-of-a-kind. And it's cool because actually you see just out of this this flyby, there's like seven papers that came out of this. Like wow. In, in the paper that I've read here, the, the one by Suleiman, They reference, like, five other papers by, you know, this author who's also a co-author on this paper. And the citation says, like, this issue, you know. (laughs) So, like, this one issue of the journal is coming out with, like, all these papers that are all just on this one measurement that they've taken. Wow, just from one measurement. That's amazing. Or, like, a set of, or a certain flyby that they did.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. The spectrogram is cool. It's neat to know that Saturn and Enceladus are sending these back and forth to each other. But what are some of the important takeaways from this? Like what kinds of insights does this give us into Saturn or the greater solar system? It's going to be hard for me to answer this well because it's the kind of thing that
1: really excites me as like this big space nerd and also as a plasma physicist. So it's really hard to just try to convince everyone that this is a super important thing that we've discovered or that Mm -hmm. we've recorded. I think the main impact really is that it... Well, so the scientific impact, as stated by this paper, is that it reveals the very large spatial extent of the coupling between Enceladus and Saturn. Okay. So they previously, they knew that that they would measure this auroral hiss close to Enceladus when they were in the flux tube that connects Enceladus to Saturn. But they didn't know that that coupling actually went as far as Saturn.
0: Oh, okay. So maybe said in other terms, it gives us a better understanding of Saturn's magnetosphere and how it... it Right. And sort of
1: the electrodynamics going on in the area surrounding Saturn and surrounding Enceladus. Okay. These are things that would probably be important in the far future when we are maybe traveling to Saturn. Um, But for now, they're more just like a very good discovery for our scientific understanding of
0: Saturn. Just to even draw in those details of what's happening and what is the actual landscape like out there exactly and they actually they compared this to the
1: same thing that they measured between io and jupiter
0: oh interesting so there's something similar at jupiter
1: right so they yeah they've me- they've made the exact same measurement at jupiter or a very similar one along the flux tube that connects jupiter to its moon io and so if anything this just at least confirms that this is a common interaction that's happening it's a it's it's very useful for plasma physicists and space plasma scientists to better understand things beyond just our own little bubble of earth we really only have one data point if we're only studying plasma science at earth yeah so this earth kind of thing earth. could be really important for maybe
0: understanding how planets in other solar systems work what about do you think this might shed any important insight into the interactions between a moon and the host planet's magnetic fields like in the case of sending an orbiter to europa and maybe trying to learn about more what the magnetic field is like and how that might impact radiation exposure or something like that.
1: Yeah, it could. Um it definitely could. I think this data may help just give us a better understanding of of that magnetic connection. What's generally happening? Yeah. And and like you said, pointing out space radiation is is important because the magnetic field is a big part of what shields us from space radiation. Mm-hmm. So so that's not a great answer for why this is important. You know, realistically, it's not that important Well, <laughs> in the grand scheme of things. Finding all of this stuff out about the universe is important. Yeah. If you like science and you get excited about this stuff, it's important, right? Yeah. But it's not, you know, it's not going to change anyone's lives day to day. Incremental help. Yeah. But you know what? That's a- not what we're here for. We're here just to appreciate good science. Exactly. So I think this is super exciting. And if anything, the big impact of this is that it gets more people excited about our solar system. Asking new questions, coming up with new experiments. Yeah, it's and it's, it's really hard to get people in general excited about random, you know, the billions of dollars that we spend to send Cassini to another planet. People would say, why would you do that? But when you get something that's this tangible back, and you get to put this out into the world and say, listen to what we recorded billions of miles away, that's like a really cool return for the general population to listen to.
0: That's a great point. Yeah, it really does. It gives the opportunity for sort of any person anywhere in the world who can listen to audio on their computer to get some sort of connection with this huge gas giant that's just out there like exactly you know millions and millions and millions of wild miles away yeah exactly cool well th- that's that's an awesome article what do you think about the headlines in pop science that you read about it yeah i mean
1: so like the really cynical me is saying this is so lame this is it's, oh, spooky plasma music, you know, like like it's just like a Halloween gimmick. Yeah, that to all get more clicks on. onto their website. Yeah, and, you know, NASA, like, super processed that recording t- to make it audible. So it's not actually like they took a microphone and recorded that sound out in space, mm-hmm. which is sort of what these articles almost make it seem like. But then the, the non-cynical part of me, just the space nerd who wants everyone to learn more about space and listen to our podcast is, like, good. I'm glad that they're that they're making it sound so exciting, you know, and that and that these writers and the audience of these websites have that excitement and that impression about this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And Maybe, you know, a key aspect to all these science missions, too, is like just the outreach from it as like a publicly funded mission, you know, giving something back that gets people excited. Right. And even if it's clickbaity is like maybe that's important, too. Yeah. And it's a cool way to say, like, hey, this is
1: this is Cassini's sort of like final send off. The final, yeah, like Cassini's requiem. Yeah, like, like this is what Cassini heard as here. it was flying into Saturn, or as mm-hmm. it was getting closer and closer
0: to Saturn. That's cool. It so, is, yeah, pretty imaginative.
1: Yeah, and I think it helps people develop a more personal connection, like you said, with this you know robot out in space. Yeah. So if I were to come up with my own headline that wasn't as clickbaity, or that wasn't trying to make it sound like it's a like a horror movie that NASA is <laughs> producing. Um, yeah, what would it be? Okay, what I came up with was Cassini eavesdrops on whistling plasma waves sent by Saturn to its moon Enceladus. I like that. You got some good consonants going on? Mm, I'm a very consonant man, so. <laughs> I like it. I, don't know, right. I, I was trying to get across that these are plasma waves, and whistling gives you the same sense of, it's, oh, it's, like, it's a sound that Cassini heard, but it's also accurate to what it is. It's, they're called whistling waves, or whistler waves.
0: That's a good point. Yeah. So, jumping the boundary between personification and actual scientific truth. Yeah.
1: So, BuzzFeed, if you're hiring, there's my pitch. I'll write your next article.
0: His name's Charlie. Yeah. Send us an email. Ho- co-host of Paperboys podcast. First name Char, last name Lee. Yeah. <laughs> but Yeah, so I mean, that's
1: the paper I hope that I made some sense and that you learned something and that people listening learned something. Absolutely. Thanks so much for bringing that one in. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I think We should throw out, if anybody has questions about this or they have comments they want to make or if they have like a suggestion for a good story they saw recently and they want us to take a look at the paper behind it, um, you should drop us a line. We have an email account,
0: paperboyspod at gmail.com. Also, feel free to check out our website, paperboyspodcast.com. Feel free to drop us a line or check out our Facebook page. Oh, we have a Facebook page. We also have a Twitter. I think our Twitter is at paperboyspod hit us up, check out new postings coming out weekly, and send us any ideas for any science articles that you hear about that you want to learn more about. Also, leave us a review on iTunes if you can. It is a big help
1: to us, and it again, it really helps us understand what we're doing wrong, what we're doing right, and where we can improve. So,
0: Thanks so much for listening. Join us next week for another edition of Paper Boys.